As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Your word, Father, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we desire to keep your righteous rules. So give us life, O Lord, according to your word. Your testimonies are our heritage forever, for they are the joy of our hearts. So, Father, by your Holy Spirit, open your word now and incline our hearts to follow it forever. And hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we'll read Matthew's account of the resurrection of Christ. So we're going to read together Matthew 28, beginning our reading at verse 1 and reading through verse 15. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, There are many things we could say about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, A preacher knows what he ought to be about today, of all days, to talk about the resurrection of the Lord. But there are many things we could think about in connection with his resurrection, many things that we could talk about, um, many things that people would want to try to dispute about the resurrection account. Um, But there is one truth that nobody really takes too much time to dispute um, about the Easter story. And that is the truth that the tomb was empty on Easter morning. Um, That's the one thing no one seems really to seriously dispute anymore. Um, You all have to sort of agree that that's the case. That's historically true. Whether you're an apostle of Christ, a member of the Sanhedrin, a Christian, a scholar, or a secular academic, 
you have to acknowledge that truth, that the tomb was empty on Easter morning. Really, nobody disputes that seriously as a historical point anymore. Of course, the why the tomb is empty is where people want to uh, create all the disputes. And we want to explain why the tomb was empty and proclaim that gospel truth that the tomb was empty because the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead just as he said. People of God, he is risen. Okay, I thought I could depend on you. Um, He is risen indeed. That is the gospel truth we confess. That is the why the tomb is empty. Um, Because Christ has risen from the dead. But there have also been many anti-gospel lies that try to explain the empty tomb apart from the risen Lord. Um, And that was the case even way back at the beginning. Uh, Matthew's account contains attempts to explain the empty tomb apart from the truth. Explain the empty tomb apart from the truth of a risen Lord who died for the sins of his people and walked out of the tomb alive three days later. Um, There are many lies that have been considered. And so we have set before us in Matthew's gospel two Easter narratives. Uh, The gospel truth and an attempt to cloud that truth, an attempt to show Christ a liar. Um, And we want to think about these two Easter narratives as Matthew lays them out before us. One that is the gospel truth that eyewitnesses bear testimony to, and the other an anti-gospel lie invented by those who were opposed to Christ, his word, and his kingdom. And in these two narratives, what does Matthew reveal to us? Well, we see two missions, then we see two reports, and then we see two stories. Um, And it's our purpose this morning to show the truth of the stories that the Christ's servants tell. But that's what we see Matthew presenting us with here. Two missions, two reports, and two stories. Now, there are two missions going on here in Matthew's account of this story. The first mission is the mission of Christ's opponents. Um, Verse 4 reminds us that the events of Easter morning, we had guards that were gathering around the tomb. Uh, Now, why were the guards there? We can look together at Matthew 27, uh, beginning at verse 62. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that apostle said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. And so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Um... It's interesting that they're sure he won't rise from the dead, but they're sufficiently worried about the story that he might, uh, that they want a guard set at the tomb. And initially what they want it to be is a guard of Roman troopers. Send your soldiers to go stand guard over the tomb. And this is sort of Pilate's way of saying, I've had it with a lot of you. You have your own soldiers. If you want to set them to work guarding a tomb, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and make it as secure as you can make it. But I'm sort of done with all of this. This is sort of him washing his hands of it a second time. Um, Saying, you have a troop of guards, go make them. So these are not Roman troopers. These are probably temple guards. 
they had their own guards for the temple. And so these are temple guards probably gathered around the tomb. And what is their mission? Their mission is to guard the tomb so that they can prove that the word of Jesus is false. He said he would rise from the dead. We want to make sure no one can say he rose from the dead. So we want to protect the tomb and make sure nobody can perpetrate a fraud. Because if there's one thing we know, it's that people who die stay dead. Um, That's still the case today. Uh, The resurrection wasn't easier for people to swallow back then. Uh, They knew back then that people who died stayed dead. That's what makes the resurrection a miracle. Um, But they wanted to prove that his word was false. He said he would rise again. They know what he said. I will rise again on the third day. They know the truth of what he said, but they want to prove that it's a lie. They want to make sure that the world knows that Jesus Christ is a liar, a fraud, and show that his word can't be relied on. And so they go and they make the tomb as secure as they can with the mission of keeping people from believing Christ's word. That's what their goal is. That's what their mission is on this Easter morning. But there is a second mission. Not of Christ's opponents, but of Christ's servants. There's another mission going on here. Uh, Not the mission of those who are determined to show Christ a liar, but those who are determined to show the truth that he has risen as he said. And the witnesses of this mission are the women who go to tend the tomb. Now they probably didn't go with a mission uh, in mind knowing what they would accomplish that Easter morning. They were merely going to honor the grave. But the first servants we meet in Matthew's account are the women. They are those who come to seek the crucified Jesus and to see the tomb. That's really all that Matthew tells us about why they come. Uh, They come to seek the crucified Lord and to see his tomb. I like what one commentator said. He said, let us not overlook the women's exceptional love and loyalty. These are women who had been with him ministering to him during his ministry in Galilee. Uh, They had been with him, seeing him die on the cross at a distance. They had seen him buried. Matthew tells us that. All of that in Matthew chapter 27. And now they had come to see him in their tomb. They come seeking Jesus. That's all we're told. The one they loved and lost in death. Um, But they come and they see what they did not expect. Because these servants of the Lord see another servant of the Lord at work. Um, An angel who does a mighty work before their eyes. Uh, They are introduced and then the angel is introduced. Um, And he makes his appearance which with with let me try that again with much more fanfare. Um, He is the cause of a great earthquake. Right? We read, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. Um, It's almost as if he hits the earth like a meteorite when he comes, and he shakes the world at his coming. His appearance is like lightning in his coming. It's an event when this angel comes. Maybe that's because it's the weight of glory that Scripture always talks about, coming and smiting earth in His holiness. But for whatever reason, this angel's coming causes an earthquake. And his appearance is like lightning. 
and his clothes are dazzling white. And it's enough to put the whole company of soldiers that are, that are standing guard at the tomb to fright. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Um, this is an awesome appearance of a servant of the Lord. Um, he appears and makes his appearance. And what does he do when he comes? He takes this stone that Matthew had said was a very large stone and takes it, pulls it out of its track, lays it on the ground, and sits down on top of it. Now, what were these soldiers supposed to do? Keep people from opening the tomb and doing something with the body. And it takes one angel to appear, and he pulls the stone and sits on it. Um, that sitting on it seems like kind of a challenge. What are you all going to do about it? Um, but they're also terrified. They're not going to do anything about it except fall down. Um, this is a scene that we as the people of God should keep in our minds when we become afraid of what the world is going to do to the church. I think there are a lot of Christians that worry, what is going to become of the church at the hands of the world in our age? And it's a fundamental misunderstanding of where the power is. The power is not in the world. The power is in heaven and the servants of the Lord. This is one servant of the Lord, right? This is not, we're not told it's Gabriel, we're not told it's Michael, we're not told if it's one of the named angels. Just any old angel can come and cause an earthquake and cause people to fall down in fear. Um, who can come and tear a very large stone away uh, from a sealed tomb. We should remember that about the servants of the Lord and the power of heaven. One angel of the Lord in power and glory is enough to terrorize and paralyze an entire troop of soldiers. Um, and we have to be clear what his mission is and what his mission is not. This servant of the Lord comes as a mission not to let Jesus out of the tomb. You'll notice that Jesus is already out of the tomb. Jesus is already alive. Jesus is already risen. What is the mission of this servant of the Lord? To make the testimony clear. To make the evidence visible. That he is risen just as he said. He is not here. That's what the angel comes to do. His mission in a sense is twofold. First of all, to comfort and commission Christ's servants. He has no word for the soldiers. He's content to let them lie there like dead men. He has no word for them. Uh, his word is for the women. Interestingly, he says to them, You do not need to be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Uh, it's an interesting way of putting that. It's almost as if he's saying... These guys need to be afraid. You do not need to be afraid. Because I know what you're seeking. You come seeking Jesus. Not to try to prove him a liar or a fraud. But to serve him. To serve him as you could. And I bring you the good news, the comforting news, that he is not here. He's risen. If you came seeking a dead Lord, you won't find him. Because he lives. He is risen just as he said. 
and come and see that his tomb is empty. Um, they couldn't have done that had the angel not rolled the stone away for them. They were incapable of doing that. He came to make, to make that testimony known, to make that evidence visible. So they could come and see that the tomb was empty. That the Lord was not there. That he has risen from the dead and that he will meet them in Galilee. That's what he commissions them to do. They're comforted and they're commissioned. Go and report to his disciples this resurrection reality and tell them that he's risen from the dead and will meet you in Galilee. The angel's first mission is to comfort and commission Christ's servants and also to confront and confound Christ's enemies. Um, after all of their preparations, after all of their attempts to make the tomb as secure as they could, uh, they could not obscure the reality that Jesus' word is true. That what he promised to do, he has accomplished. He has risen from the dead as he said. So Matthew presents us with two missions. One of Christ's opponents and enemies that is a complete failure. Um, and one of Christ's servants that is a consummate victory. Um, there's two missions, and these two missions then lead to two reports. Um, if you're the soldiers, there's not much to report. That's why some of them seem to have not reported back at all. Um, when it comes to their reporting, some of the guard went into the city to tell of what happened. Uh, that their temple guards explains why they go to the religious authorities to explain what has happened rather than to the civil authorities. Um, but they go into report, and they must have report, had to go report with total fear. Um, they'd been given one job, right? We still don't say that today. You had one job. Uh, your one job was to guard the tomb and make sure no one messed with it. It's a very large stone. You set a seal. We put a troop of guards there, and you're coming back to report you were unable to accomplish your job. Um, they had to be filled with fear over what they had to report, but more so, I'm sure they were filled with fear of what they'd witnessed. You know, they were probably filled with fear, and you can almost imagine them talking to themselves on the way to report this, right? Well, I know, yeah, I know, we blew it, but you be there when the angel comes, and you decide you're going to do something. You try to stop it. Um, you can imagine them kind of talking to themselves about how I'm going to explain this. But they must have gone in total fear. They had one job, and they failed to do it. Um, and we only can imagine how much fear and trepidation was in their hearts as they go to explain their failure. Contrast that to the report the women have to make. They get to go and testify to the disciples that he is not in the tomb, he's risen, as he said. And we saw a great witness from heaven to this event. Now, it didn't mean that they weren't also afraid. We know that angelic appearances are, are fearful no matter who's seeing them. Um, and it's a reason they always have to start by saying, don't be afraid. Um, because it's a terrifying experience. But we're reminded here, you can be filled with fear, but also with great joy. Um, we know that from the scripture, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Um, that, that's what these women are experiencing. They go with fear, but unlike those soldiers, they also go with great joy. They go with great joy to report what they now know. And you'd be filled with joy just having heard this from angels, 
having the privilege of having an angel speak to you and report something of this magnitude from heaven. That would have been enough to fill you with great joy. And then what happens? They meet Jesus. Not just a messenger of heaven, but the Lord of heaven himself. Risen from the dead in resurrected glory. And we might think, what is he going to say to them? It must be something monumental. Here are the first words spoken by the Lord to someone who loved him in life, believed in him, now knows him to be the Lord over life and death. It must be something monumental. Obviously, he said very many monumental things from the cross. Reverend Tedrick led us through some of those sayings from the cross on Friday night. And so, what monumental thing is the Lord going to have to say? The first word spoken to his servants by the risen Lord is greetings. Good morning. I mean, we, we pass over that so quickly, we might want to say, really? That's, that's it? It's kind of fascinating in verse 9. Jesus met them and said, good morning. I find that fascinating. I find it surprising. I find it comforting all at the same time. Because Jesus is radically changed at this point. He is no longer the suffering servant coming to the world to die for sinners. He is victorious. He has been risen. He is risen from the dead. He is a new human being, resurrected humanity. The goal towards which the Lord is moving all things. The first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. Standing there and when you meet him he still says good morning. He is so radically changed but so essentially still Jesus. The Jesus they knew. The Jesus they ministered to. The Jesus they loved. The Jesus they ate with. He's still him. Despite being now so different from what he was. In the other gospel accounts, they sometimes find him unrecognizable until he speaks to them. Um, and maybe that's because they always knew him as a man of sorrows, with the world on his shoulders. And now they, for the first time they see him as one who's finished the grief, who's carried the sorrows, who's put it all away. And who's been raised, Lord, and victorious. But he still, when he greets his people, says, good morning. And he still, when he meets his disciples, has breakfast with them. He's the same Jesus. Even though he is now the triumphant Lord of glory. That should be a comfort to us. That Jesus still is for his people. That Lord they knew in life. The one that they could approach and speak with and spend time with. Um, that he was not now too great for his people. Um, he is the same Jesus, even though everything has now changed. Um, and that is a reason for them no longer to be afraid and just to be filled with joy. That's what the Lord also says to them. Uh, the equivalent of be glad. And lay aside all fear. Now don't go forward with 
fear and great joy. Just go forward with the great joy. Um, and only Jesus can accomplish that, can drive out all fear and bring us great joy. And Jesus repeats their commission, calling the disciples his brothers. He is still the Lord they know, despite all that's happened. And they are still his brothers, despite all they've done. Uh, these women were at least there at the crucifixion from a distance, doing what they could do. Uh, where were his disciples? Mostly scattered to the winds. Some even talking to people and saying, Jesus, never heard of him. I don't know him at all. Um, but Jesus calls them brothers, despite all that's happened, um, despite their fear and abandonment and denial. Uh, Jesus has brought them into fellowship with himself by what he's done. Jesus is triumphant, victorious, but still gentle and loving and approachable to his own. What glory, what a glorious report that Matthew gives and that they have to tell. Um, and that's where these two stories then get told of what happened on that Easter morning. Now Matthew tells us of the two stories that began to circulate on account of these events. Um, and the first is a false anti-gospel story. It's a fabricated story made up by Christ's enemies. Uh, verse 12 says, And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Uh, so they come together and they cook a story about what they're going to tell the public to explain the empty tomb. To try to still perpetrate this idea that Jesus is a fraud. Um, it shows how hard their hearts are. Right? Because they had said, well, he's a fraud. He said he would rise, and we know that that can't possibly be the case. Re soldiers come reporting exactly what they saw, and, they still, and their only reaction is, how do we cover this up? Um, it shows the hardness of their hearts that they cover this up. Uh, they can't explain away the empty tomb in terms of the reality, uh, so they make up their own story, a false story about the disciples stealing the body while their soldiers slept. At best, it makes their soldiers appear really irresponsible uh, to be sleeping on the job. Um, at worst, this story is irrational. Um, imagine having the chance in court to cross-examine this account. His disciples came and stole him. How many disciples stole him? And get each one of those guards there and see if they can all say the same number. And then you get in, you go, you just go through all the details with them. Okay, this is, how many were there? What did they do? What did you know? How did this all transpire? Okay, and you're there as a soldier, right? You got your sword, you had your shield, right? You're ready for trouble. How come you didn't do anything? Oh, I was asleep. Then how do you know what was going on if you were asleep? You didn't do anything as you were asleep, but then if you're asleep, how do you know who came and took the body? They all get together, they put their heads together, and this is what they come up with. A story that makes no internal sense. 
Either you were asleep and you don't know who took the body, or you were awake and know who took the body. But you can't have it both ways. This begins to sound like, you know, little kids reporting on each other at the dinner table when one doesn't have their eyes closed during prayer. He had his eyes open. Well, how do you know? You know, your eyes must not have been closed. You know, that, it, this, about, this is about as good as they've come up with. Um, and then there's a little bit of menace in how they tell these soldiers to keep the story quiet. They pay them off, and then they say, and you know, if the Roman governor finds out about this, we'll try to cover you. Um, you know, they sort of, that's, a, that's a threat more than anything else. Because when the Romans wanted to make examples of people, they crucified them. And so it's a way of threatening the soldiers to say, and if the governor hears about it, we'll try to cover for you. You see how foolish this is. How, how really pathetic this is as an attempt to hide the gospel truth. It's a pathetic report. Um, but it was circulated, Matthew says, to this day. To the day of Matthew's writing, people were still saying, oh, no, no. His disciples stole him away. But that's a false report. And thanks be to God that we have another report. Another Easter report that has been circulated. Not that flimsy, pathetic lie. But the truth. The truth of what happened there. The true gospel story of Jesus of Nazareth, who died on a Roman cross on a Friday in history, and rose from the dead on a Sunday morning. Um, who people saw him die, saw him buried, and saw him alive. And we will say with our modern sensibilities, that can't happen. And we would, our response would be, that's the point. That's what makes this a gospel story. People saw things that otherwise they would have said, that can't happen. I've never seen someone I know die and buried and then come out alive again. But they said, we saw it. We know, we testify that it's true. These are stories told by eyewitnesses who were there and are just recounting what they saw. The gospel truth is not just what Jesus did in my heart. As important as that is, as vital as that is for the Holy Spirit to do a work in our heart, but the testimony of the gospel is simply, here's what God did in history. God sent His Son to die for sinners. And He lived, and He preached the coming of the kingdom of God, and he preached the gospel of life in his name. And then he laid down his life for sinners on the cross. And after three days, rose again from the dead. He died for our sins. He was raised for our justification. That's the true story of Easter. That's the report that's to be believed. And there have been since then many false anti-gospel stories circulated to try to explain it some other way. But thanks be to God that this testimony of the gospel has been maintained. 
that his witness and the word has still gone forward in the world. The story of the Son of God who came into the flesh to die for sinners and who rose for our justification. That's the story. And there are always going to be competing Easter stories. Um, just as in Matthew's day, he could say, people still tell another story today. We'll always be able to say as a church, and people are still telling another story today. But what Matthew confronts us with this morning is the story. What Matthew confronts us with this morning is the truth. And says there are many people that are going to tell alternate lies, but do you believe the truth? That's what this truth is a witness for. So that we don't believe the lies. The lies that lead to foolishness and to falsehood and to fear. But this is presented to us so that we would believe the truth. The truth about what happened on Easter Sunday those many years ago. That we would accept the truth of the gospel message. And why does God want us to accept that message? Just because it's true? No, because accepting that message by faith leads to great joy. That's what God wants for the world. For the world to find joy in forgiveness of sins and life in the name of the one who died and rose again. That we would have life and have it abundantly. So that you would know that Jesus Christ is Lord and that by believing in Him, you would have life in His name. That's what this report is about. Not just reporting a truth, but reporting the truth that makes all the difference in whether we live or die. The truth that Jesus paid the ransom for our sins. The truth that Jesus rose again from the dead, bringing new life to all who believe in Him. It's not just a report, it's a life-giving report to those who believe it. To those who believe the truth that he is risen, just as he said. That that's the reason for the empty tomb and the reason we can find full joy and life in his name. Seek him by faith and you will find rest for your soul. Now, may we all believe the true Easter story that leads to forgiveness of sins and eternal life in his name. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we know that we read the account of the Easter story and it seems fantastic and unbelievable to us. And we know that really to embrace the truth that Jesus died in history and was raised from the dead by your power, we need the illuminating help of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would soften our hearts and open them to be able to receive this as gospel truth. That we might have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And that you would enlighten our eyes to see Jesus who died for our sins, who was raised for our justification, and who offers us fullness of joy if we believe in him. And so we pray that we would all greet this Easter truth with faith. That we would trust ourselves to this Savior whose word is true, um, and that we would have life in his name. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.